Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. Okie dokie. <laughs> I thought you were about to do, okay, what's that from? Oh my gosh. We, when we were running to Columbia the other day, we listened to 2000s hip hop. Oh, and I know. so we, d- Eric and I decided we were going to make a reel that was us just talking in 2000 hip hops. You know, like how the- you listen to young music. I listen yeah. to old well, music. Well, no, I don't. I did when I was younger, but mm. you know, like all the Little John and like how they always come into the. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Crunk Cup. Yes, yes. Eminem. Oh my gosh. Ashanti. Oh, yeah. Okay, I, fo- I follow you. I was a big yeah. Eminem fan. Yes. I thought he was excellent. Yes. I still do. I like him. All right. It was so- a nice walk down memory lane. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Like, yeah, my kids are like, what is this? Yes. But my son likes the oldies too, so there's yeah. hope. So today we're going to talk to a nurse who left medicine after her experience with the COVID-19 pandemic. Gosh, nursing today is not an easy job. Mm -mm. It's so bad. I think the more that I talk to, the more nurses I talk to, it just kind of, I can see the burnout. Oh, the burnout's so bad. Yeah. So in preparation for this episode, I reached out to nurses to ask, why is it hard to be a nurse today? Oh, interesting. So here's... Here's some of the comments. It's hard to be a nurse today because the problems of old have never been resolved, yet the expectations continue to rise. Here's another one. All hospitals are losing money, so they cut back on everything else except for the higher ups income. (laughs) Nurses are expected to not only be the nurse, but also the patient care tech and the housekeeper. Mm. Here's another one. Travel nurses, as an exception, nurses aren't paid near enough for the immense amount of work that they are expected to complete, plus their charting done, and not, God forbid, clock out late, because that means they are eligible for overtime pay. I've talked to nurses before where they're giving patient care, Mm -hmm. and it's literally like their boss is coming in and saying, you need to clock out so you don't get overtime. They're in the middle of caring for the patient. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's about, it's about overtime versus the patient care. Yeah. Travelers are making a lot more, but most aren't very skilled a lot of the time. So full-time nurses are also needing to take significant time helping them as well. Here's another one. Hospital admins love to say it's not in the budget to give full-time nurses a raise, but will spend two to three times as much getting travelers because the units are all short-staffed. And not everywhere has set nurse-patient ratios. So if they can't or won't get help, then they are spread dangerously thin. Man, I bet it is hard to be a travel nurse these days. <laughs> I, well, I mean, they get paid a lot, but then they're not necessarily as skilled or, you well, know. Well, I mean, not even that, but I just like walking in and this, the shade that they get. Oh, yeah. But yeah. I mean, Yikes. that's because the nurses that are sticking, you know, that are at the actual hospital yeah. are now having to train them on top of their yeah. additional oh, no, I, responsibilities. I, I I mean, I'm not hating on travel nurses or, you know, the other. It's just, it's all hard. And I mean, I don't blame people for going to travel nursing because why wouldn't you when you can make so much more money? Right. Okay, here's one. The thanks that they get 
are lame emails, nurses weeks that amount to snacks and a couple of events. But you can't go to them because your unit's so short staffed. Mm. They say that nurses aren't in it for the money, which is true. But nurses are people, too, and at some point need to feel that they are doing well, especially in a time and environment where they feel they are constantly falling behind. It's unsustainable mentally, emotionally, physically. I would really be interested to learn the statistics about how long people stay in nursing. I know. And at different levels, like because I would imagine like ER and like the critical care, like those would be the higher burnout mm-hmm. rates. You know, how, how many years statistically people stay in it? Well, and then COVID like oh, totally yeah. annihilated the nursing. You know, so somebody said COVID shined a huge light that we needed on the battlefield of nursing. It was a lot of patronizing, like heroes work here crap thrown around. People were burned out. It made it obvious that they weren't really respected and that they were overworked. People left because they were exhausted or because they were getting basic pay for literally going into isolation rooms where they didn't know exactly how dangerous it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, they were getting sick. They were not seeing their families. Three years later, we have a large travel nurse culture for that reason and a massive shortage. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you can hear mm-hmm. just the absolute frustration of these nurses. And everybody who's been through any kind of medical trauma like cancer knows that the nurses are the heartbeat of the mm-hmm. healthcare system. Yeah. So I think, you know, the fact that we're going to be talking to Deb today about why she left medicine, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not surprising to me. I'm really interested, though, to yeah. hear her insight. So yeah. first, we're going to talk about Deb's experience working during the pandemic. And then we're going to talk about her disappointment in doctors' behaviors during that time. Yeah. And finally, we'll discuss why we think this type of behavior happened and the concerns that patients have regarding medical choices and being able to trust the government and their doctors. Oh. But before we do that, let's hear from our sponsor. Thriven is a proud sponsor of Faith Through Fire. Thriven believes money is a tool and not a goal. The Gateway Financial Group with Thrivent is local to the St. Louis area and can work with you to create a financial strategy that reflects your priorities and helps you protect the things that matter to you, like family and giving back. Please call 314-783-4214 to schedule a free consultation with one of Thrivent's Gateway Financial Advisors. All right. Welcome, Deb. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Of course. All right. Give us some background. Why did you want to become a nurse and how long have you been nursing? Nursing is my second career. And I was about 30 years old and started having kids and realized that the career I had was not something I wanted to do the rest of my life. And I thought when my kids go to career day, I want them to be proud that mommy's a nurse. And honestly, I know this sounds so silly, but I I had the kids at the hospital and thought if I'm going to go back to school, this is what I want to do. So really, I went to I went to college at third at 30, got my bachelor's, had another kid while I was in college. My husband and I planned it out. And when the nurses said, why are you here? I said, I want to deliver babies. And I've never delivered a baby. So uh, isn't that just the way life works? Yes. Yes. It you, just didn't go that way. It's yeah. like you tell God your, God your plans and then he laughs and then yep. sends you in a different direction. Yeah, Like yep. I had hopes one day of maybe being a midwife, but not going not oh, to do that oh, either. Oh, man, that's uh, my alley. Yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sarah used to work in a uh, birth, uh, center. birth center. Yeah. yeah. She was yeah. all about a, the midwifery. Yes. Midwifery. Midwifery. Oh, oh, my bad. Yeah. (laughs) My bad. I better get it right. You're cute, Beth. Uh, Okay. So what kind of nursing then did you you get into? So critical care, ICU is my background. Okay. So I love it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So then I... Okay, I'm going to dive right in. Mm -hmm. Tell us what it was like working during COVID then, because that was, you were there for that, right? I was. So working during COVID was just, I mean, when it Were you scared? I wasn't scared at first. I was on, I remember being on calls with the healthcare system I was with, and they were saying, oh, we have our first COVID patient up in Seattle. 
It's not even with our healthcare system. It was mm-hmm. first one reported in the country. And our big wigs at the time were like, we're not worried about it. We have no plans, nothing. It's a virus. It's a cold, mm. which is what we all thought. You know, coronavirus has technically, it's been around for a long time. We've always tested patients for it. So, okay. But then it started hitting and it was, I remember being at work the day that they opened our first COVID unit and they tapped me on the shoulder that day and said, you're going down at one o'clock to start taking COVID patients. And I was like, okay. How did that that feel? I was scared. I I work PRN Mm -hmm. and so I don't have benefits. And so me and my PRN buddies were like, if we get sick, we don't get to work. What's going to happen to us? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had insurance through my husband, but I didn't have any benefits for the job to protect me. Mm-hmm. And so it was it was scary. So, <laughs> so you go wow. into that and you start seeing patients. Mm-hmm. And like, what were you seeing? Was it was it literally people dying left and right? Was it, you know, at first it was. Yeah, yeah. You know, at first it was, well, people were sick. People were very, very sick, respiratory illnesses we were treating the best we knew how intubation and putting people on ventilators and then after months of doing that we realized it was actually harming patients so we quit doing that Mm -hmm. so there was a lot of death there was a lot of sadness a lot of fear we didn't know what was going on we were just trying to use all the ppe we could in the hospital Mm -hmm. and we were protected i never caught covid from a patient anything so yeah, it took a couple years. I actually got it from the kid. I think he brought it home from school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the hus- like, I survived in the hospital and I got it from you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The husband and I got sick on Christmas Day and we spent the next uh, week in bed. So it was fine. We all survived. But it was nothing like what I had seen at the beginning. At the beginning was so bad. And, you know, I don't think people, I think, the you know, it was scary to everybody because we saw people dying. We saw people getting sick. We heard the nursing home stories and we saw the pictures of people in their room tapping on the window. They can't hug, you know, their mm-hmm. son and daughters. And was what, it like that for the hospital that you were at? Where was it? Were they not allowing family to see their loved oh, ones yeah. before they died? We shut down any visitors in the hospital. The hospital system I work for throughout everywhere shut down any visitor in the hospital. Only if you were treating that patient could you go in their room. So as a nurse, if I wasn't assigned to that patient and not, they did not specifically need my help, I couldn't go in that room either to mm. like even just to go in and like borrow a piece of equipment. It had to be like the staff that were worth with that patient. Mm. Do you feel like the hospitals were prepared? Because you said initially no. that they were. Yeah, I was just going to say. No way. They said initially, like, this is no big deal. It's just another coronavirus. No. And then everything kind of hit the fan. And then were they caught with their pants down, so to speak? Yeah, but I don't I don't blame the hospital necessarily. I mean, nobody's prepared for a pandemic. I think mm-hmm. a lot was learned with all of it. You know, we were told we have we have so much PPE and was never obviously never been an issue before, but we didn't need it to the we didn't need it ever before as much as we needed it then. Mm-hmm. So uh, when we started running out and you were wearing your filthy mask for 12 hours a day, which is real thing, I legit took my N95 home and baked it in the oven because I saw online that people were doing that to kill the germs. And my husband's like, what is going on? I said, I don't know. I'm just trying to live. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> right. I mean, it was scary, but I feel like that for me, that lasted a couple months. And then mm-hmm. it was okay. You know, our healthcare staff are okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe somebody had caught COVID, but they stayed out a couple of weeks and they came back and they're okay. So then it started getting, this is just another day at work. And it quickly for me, after like three months of just working, had to tow PPE every day and in the rooms with the patients. I mean, you'd spend an hour in a room with somebody if they're on a BiPAP or a ventilator and doing all the care you had to do. And you would be the only person in there, you know, listening to that person breathe and like it's floating around. Yeah. Do you have do you have a story that sticks with you in terms of your COVID experience, whether it be with the patient? Or- yeah, I do. I had one that was this older gentleman. And I don't know why this one sticks with me. He ended up passing and maybe that's why. 
he was a big car enthusiast, like classic cars. And I had him for a couple of days in a row. And he was one of the ones that I remember spending hours in his room taking care of him. I mean, if he went from laying down in his bed just to sitting up, he was out of breath and it would take him 15, 20 minutes to recover. And you just standing there making sure he doesn't crash, just trying to breathe, going from sitting to Hmm. laying to sitting so if he ever wanted to stand up we're like no you have to pee in the bed like put the urinal in you can't stand up you don't have the 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 pass for it Mm -hmm. yeah but i took care of him he was just sweet always talked about his cars that's all he wanted did he have family he did they were not allowed with covid Uh no visitors were allowed to come in and it was really hard because you know at that time in the beginning a lot of the outcome was death and so they were not allowed to bring people in. So how do you go? I mean, that's kind of I'm envisioning this man, you know, he's he's talking to you, right? Mm-hmm. He's not he's not on a vent. So he's sitting up, he's he's laying down, he's struggling, but he's still OK. Like and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden he just took a turn for the worse. And, and that was that. Or I mean, was his family notified? Was it like the, what you saw in the news with the iPad where people were saying goodbye or how did um, that happen? That was very, very true. I set up a lot of iPads to take into people's rooms mm. so that they could converse with their families. I was not there when he passed. I just remember them talking about a parade they had. So they allowed people to, I guess his, his group of, you know, his friends organized this to drive by the hospital. And so they mm-hmm. wheeled him to the window so he could watch. Oh, geez. And got to see that. But he did end up passing. Yeah, I don't, you know, the iPads are very real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Taking those into patients' rooms and just listening to these people have what could be their last conversation with their family members. And there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing they can do. We just were not letting people in. For one, we didn't, we didn't want to try to increase the spread of it anymore. We didn't have the PPE, quite frankly, we didn't have the personal protection equipment. And for like N95, you have to be specially fitted for that. So we couldn't just say, okay, grandma, you know, or mom, come on in because we couldn't specially fit you for that. It's a whole thing. So, I mean, I can imagine a lot of stories like that stick with you because Mm -hmm. when you're pretty much the last touch point with people it's mm-hmm. like that doesn't go away yeah so so, so let me yeah. ask you like do you feel any residual like ptsd from your experience with all that or do you feel like you were kind of m- emotionally okay with it that you were prepped for a i time feel such like i'm okay that? because i'm an icu nurse and mm-hmm. so i before COVID, i've seen a lot of death suddenly mm-hmm. and had codes you know squeezing bags of blood into people i've experienced that and i have a very good relationship with death but not everybody does I think nurses maybe more so than others because we see it so much, but I'm more scarred from, I just don't trust anybody anymore. <laughs> mm. To be quite honest, I don't trust anybody. I'm very skeptical. I, I do a lot of research, even, you know, if any if, if I'm talking to somebody, even if it's something I agree on, if they have an idea that's different from mine, it's like, oh, I'm going to go research that. I'm not just going to take it for granted. So I want to I want to jump into that because that's yeah. like a whole new you know can of worms that I want to get into. Before we talk about that though, do you want to do boobs in the news? Let's do it. Oh, All right. Yeah. Boobs in the news is a fun segment where we read funny tweets by real people or ridiculous news stories. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. Boobs in the news. So this is 21 of the funniest tweets. I'm not going to read all 21, but this is funny tweets about married life. Okay. Mm. I starred some of my favorite ones so we can kind of <laughs> hash out some of these. So marriage is fun. You get to learn things like it's possible to fold a towel inside out. Oh. 
<laughs> I don't care. As long I have a special way I fold towels, so I totally do. You have a special that, way that yeah. you fold towels. I teach my kids. My I have boys, and I'm like, if you don't have a, if you don't know how to fold a towel, you're not going to find a, good a woman. woman. Oh, Mary. I'm like I, only yep. good women carry worry about how you fold a towel. Yeah. Oh my I gosh, if I would be dating so a guy bad. and like looked at his, you know, what what do they call it? The, linen closet. The linen closet, and the you towels think- are folded nicely. I'd be like. Put a ring on it now. Listen, my husband is a great man, and if I had to marry him all over again, a hundred times I would. And he, I, I think I probably had to teach him how to fold towels. So I shouldn't oh. teach my kids that, but it's in yeah. my head. Yep. I tell my yep. son all the time, like, dude, you have to learn these things if you want a decent woman. I know. Yep. Yeah. Okay, yeah. this is a funny one. Anytime my husband upsets me, I just add more shampoo bottles to our shower. <laughs> Listen to this. There's currently forty-seven. <laughs> Oh my. <laughs> That's hysterical. That's so funny. That is a good one. There are two types of people those who are always <laughs> 10 minutes early, and those who think it only takes 10 minutes to get That's anywhere. You, Sarah. That's and you. then they marry each other. That's you. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. Gosh. I, every time Sarah and I have to be somewhere, she's like, oh, it'll only take a few. I'm like, dude, your math is way off. I'm like, it is not. It takes 10 minutes to get everywhere. I don't leave home without my Google Maps anymore. Like, even if I'm going somewhere where I've been a million times, I will map it just so it can tell me the traffic because I'm perpetually late. Oh, oh yeah. so funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, oh. even today on the way to the studio, it's. It's a good little jog from my place, and I always under I always underestimate how long it takes me to get <laughs> mm-hmm. here. So yeah. if anything unforeseen happened, like today I got behind two school buses, uh, yeah. you know, it's like I'm gonna be late. But yeah. Sarah is notorious for like completely underestimating. I think it. I think it's it's not even just going some place someplace, but I always just think, oh, I'll be able to fit five trips in in thirty minutes, mm-hmm. which is totally inaccurate. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. I I I appreciate your your you know moxie that you think you're going to get all this done and you're going to be there on time but uh, no. I have I have become your clock yeah you have been you're <laughs> really good so at it funny. I'm glad right. you do have each other give us all one right. more one more so being married to someone with ADHD means every time they leave the house to go somewhere they will come back four to five times within the next two minutes to grab things they forgot so you get used to saying goodbye a lot of times in a row that's so mm-hmm. true that's you that's me it's me too that's yeah. me I literally my husband works in, in a home office and he will hear me come back in and out <laughs> and it's like every day. okay love you bye okay love you bye okay <laughs> it's ridiculous oh my gosh yeah it's so oh. ridiculous i've started having the kids go up to make sure my i unplugged my hot iron because oh my yeah. Iron. yeah i'm like go go check for mom yeah. i've already you know checked you three times invest but... in is one of those little timers where you plug it in it's like kind of like oh, a, yeah, a, a christmas idea. light timer where it uh-huh. just shuts off after 30 minutes that, and then you never have to worry about it ever that again. would be great yeah, yeah. ADD. There we go. There's a gift we can give for her. I'll tell you what, yeah. man. ADD. So I. <laughs> it's so real. I, I don't watch a lot of like social. You know this about me, but every once in a while I get sucked into the reels or the whatever they call the mm-hmm. store, whatever they are. And there was this husband the other day that's like, when your wife has ADHD, and it shows him he's like, you make sure that she doesn't feel stressed and that that she you know ha- takes a pr- pr- time for her mindfulness. You make sure she eats healthy foods because you know that improve. And he goes through this litany of things that he does for his ADHD wife, and I'm like. I would A, love that if Gary did that for me, but B, that is such BS. Nobody is doing that for their significant other with ADHD. What's really happening is they're like, did you really lose your keys again? (laughs) Did you really forget the paperwork on the counter right after I told you to grab it? Did you really? I mean, that's like real life. And when I saw this, I was like, that would be amazing. But that is total BS. That guy is not doing that. That is That is a real, you know, to get to get social followers. Yeah, I don't yeah. know anybody doing that. No, no. no. All right. No. There's no love strong enough. There's your boobs. There's your boobs. Maybe we're all boobs. Yes. Mm. 
Yeah. <laughs> Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. All right, we're back. So you ultimately left healthcare because you were so disturbed by some of the behavior that you saw from doctors and other clinicians. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of like, because right before we went into boobs in the news, you were just talking about how you don't trust anybody. Is yeah. that related? Yeah. Yeah. So I think COVID kind of wrecked everybody, you know, whether you're in healthcare or not, but more so if you're in healthcare or if you were like being treated for anything. But I had to take a break. I left to go do something else for the last year. Now I am going back to the hospital in a couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. I'm very excited because I love nursing. I love being a nurse and I love taking care of people. And like, I identify so much as a nurse, which I know is mm-hmm. probably annoying, but I just, it's such a part of who I am. So sure. I can't imagine not taking care of people. You know what I respect about that is that you took a break from it. Yeah. And I, and I think you're so excited stronger. because you yeah. know, like, this is what you're meant to do. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm on a, like a Facebook group with, with a ton of nurses and you see them making complaints and, and, and it's like, the stuff you're complaining about is so valid, but it's not going to change. And yeah. all I want to do is scoop these people up and say, go take a break. Go do something else. Because mm-hmm. the way you're complaining about it shows that you love it. You love this and you want to yeah. do it and you don't want to leave it. You're trying to stick it out. But you don't have to, like, be a superhero, you know. Just go take a break and do something else and enjoy your life and come back whenever you're ready. And yeah. I, do I feel like that's what I'm doing. I was so. going to yeah. say, I think it's really interesting because you do reach this level of acceptance of it's not going to change. You wish it yeah. would. But then you have the choice, right? You can leave forever. Right. Or you can come to terms with the fact that it's never going to change. And you just, yeah, you find a way to find joy. In and it that anyway. mindset is true for like every situation mm-hmm. in life, right? Right. You know, it's I can accept it and figure out a way to work with it instead of against yeah. it. Or I can walk away. And yeah. and I walked away for a while and it was just really what I needed. And I just am excited to go back. But yeah, with COVID, so, so besides just being burnt out nursing through a pandemic, I mean, there's no really explanation needed for that. I have always adored my doctors I've worked with. I've always adored them. Not all of them, but the ones that I respect, I trust wholeheartedly. I respect them. I listen to them. I let them teach me. And the ones that I just thought I would let them, like if I needed life-saving treatment, I would want them to treat me. We're pushing treatments during COVID and using judgments that were so ugly, so, so ugly that nobody wants from their healthcare provider at all. And it just really opened my eyes to like, man, people's true colors are showing. Their true colors are showing and everybody has their opinions behind behind closed doors. Doctors and nurses are not immune to judgment of patients, but we you don't do it to the patient. You don't do it to your staff. You do it in your head behind closed doors and whatever. You know, I'm not trying to hide the fact that that exists, but like social media was a big platform for them to just throw that stuff out there. And it was so ugly and hurtful and mean. And I have, you know, I'm vaccinated as a nurse and I have family members who are not. And them putting stuff online, you know, about I have a tweet. I have a, a thing. Do you want me to share it? Yeah, oh, please do. Pull I it went, up. I went and looked back. So this came from a provider, someone that I super, super respected. And I know that they were posting this stuff out of fear and frustration that they were working and treating people. But you got to draw the line at, w- at what you're going to say. And so this, they posted this picture on Facebook, the guy wearing a sweatshirt in the back of it. I'm sure it's, I don't know. I'm sure it's Photoshop, but it says unmasked, untested, unvaxxed, unafraid. And underneath of it, someone said unintelligent, uneducated, uncivilized, unable to comprehend basic common sense, uncaring for those who are vulnerable. 
And I just remember seeing that thinking, you just called all of my family members the, the stupidest people in the world. And you've called some of the nurses that I know that are brilliant, uneducated. I mean, you're just like completely just and I think humanity was gone. Humanity yeah. was gone from the process and any tolerance for somebody that didn't right. respond the way you and, responded. And as a patient, could you imagine scrolling through Facebook and you see your provider and you go to their Facebook page and you see that? Yeah. How yeah, would that no. make you feel? Well, I mean, it's the whole reason we're doing a medical skepticism series is because I don't know that they fully understand the implications for when they do that, you know it's just it's really unfortunate and Sarah and I talked about it in a previous episode when mm-hmm. we opened up this series on COVID about how disappointed we were yeah. in the behavior of everyone during when the rubber hit the road to your mm-hmm. point about true colors coming out when rubber hit the road you saw what people were really like and it, I think it was so sad and shocking for so many of us who were like listen I don't have to agree with you on this we don't have to see eye to eye but I the the amount of disgust mm-hmm. And it was just disgusting and disappointing. Disappointing. And and I think when you and I were talking about prepping for this and just how your experience, you know, you, you mentioned that there were doctors that were saying if they didn't get vaccinated, they deserve to die or that they don't deserve good care. Oh, yeah. I would. I remember hearing certain doctors saying, you know, if they came, if someone comes into the ER and they're not vaccinated and they're here for this or this, this don't ask me to treat them. I mean, <laughs> you can't you, do that. Yeah, for you, one, there's law called Mtala. You have to yeah. treat them. For two... Pre-COVID, let's back up. People that come into the hospital that have to actually be hospitalized, so ma- a lot of it, and this is not me placing judgment, it's just fact, a lot of it is because of life choices they have made mm-hmm. that have turned their heart into a certain way, or their kidneys are failing because of choices that they have made in their life, mm-hmm. right? Would I have made those choices? Probably not. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. But I'm not going to deny a heart attack victim who has chain smoked their whole life treatment. Sure. You know, because I don't smoke. Like Because you don't agree with their <laughs> life decisions. That's, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, told it's you. the antithesis of what healthcare I mean, medical care and doing no harm is. You right. are there yeah. to be in a you know, somebody that cares for people regardless of that. These are the right. most these are the most vulnerable people in society. They're the ones that maybe didn't make the best choices. They're the mm-hmm. and, and and it's not even always the case. There are people that ended up in the ICU that were vaccinated that died. Absolutely. You know, and I think that, you know, it was almost like, well, if you were an unfortunate victim of COVID and you were vaccinated and you died, then that's just really sad. And if you were unvaccinated and you mm-hmm. died, well, you got what you deserved. And people saw that. Like, I think mm-hmm. that it's interesting that people who were spewing that kind of hateful rhetoric didn't realize that people were kind of quietly watching this unfold right. and seeing how they were basically discriminating against different people based on differing beliefs mm-hmm. and just watching it kind of all happen. And then, you know, that changes how you perceive your physicians, your Absolutely. medical systems. And we've talked about this in the past. These medical systems are notorious for saying, oh, well, patients just don't get care, right? They don't get their mammograms because they're medically skeptical because they're just uneducated. No, there's a long history of abuse, right? systemic abuse in the healthcare system mm-hmm. against marginalized people or otherwise right. that has led this to this point where people are willing to take their risk with death because they trust you so little. That is not a, a lack of intelligence on the on the patient. That is a lack of leadership and accountability and integrity Trust, right? yeah. of the leader. And right. I don't think that leaders understand that if if people aren't following you and they're not taking your advice, that's a lack of failure, a uh, failure of leadership. Mm-hmm. 
That's not a lack of education. That's right. a lack of you didn't do your job properly. There's so many providers, whether it be nurse, nurses or doctors or nurse pr- um, practitioners, whatever, that do as I say and do it. And if you don't do it, well, it's your fault whenever you get sick or whatever. But teach them. We're all educators. We are, we are in healthcare, and it is our job to educate. And I am of the belief that I will educate you on your different options as to the best of my ability as a nurse. And I will tell you what I would recommend, but you do what you feel is best for you based on the education you've been given. And COVID was such a time to really open that up that so many people came to realize like, you know, we have to, we can't just keep following what they tell us anymore. We have to start learning more and making our own decisions. And there was just I don't know, man. Everybody. Do you you feel like there's a little egg on the face of those people that behave that way now that we know more about the virus and, you know, for example, the vaccine? Yeah. Yeah. And I hope I hope people are, you know, reflecting on their behaviors and the good people are going to be willing to admit that they were wrong or an error and move on from it. And I just think the doctors were forcing so much and I don't want to make it a vaccine talk, but that was the big thing that was forced during COVID. Right. So they were just forcing it. And. I get it. They were getting pushed. They're getting like pushed to do it from hospital administrators and healthcare system administrators and government. So they were doing what they were told. But rather than saying, you know what, I'm not going to push this. I'm going to I'm going to do some more research on it, which there is very little. It was just like I, I judge a doctor now when I go to the when I go to a physician, if they ask me if I've been COVID vaccinated, I say, why are you asking? And I know insurance now has codes and they want to keep track of that stuff. But I will say, you know, why are you asking? Or I will tell them. And depending on what their response is, like I just took my kids to a new pediatrician and he asked if they've had it. I said, no, we're not. I said, we're not doing that for the kids. And I said, I am, you know, but my kids are not. And he said, good, I don't recommend it. And he said, and he told me how studies now are showing that it's not even helping children, that it's doing nothing for them. And he doesn't recommend it. And I was like, Thank so you have a new you have a new like respect for that. Oh, provider. my God. Yeah. yeah. Thank, because because thank we God, all like because, somebody is using their brain because we all know that. Mm-hmm. And so to actually have it validated by somebody that we're supposed to be able to trust, you know, is mm-hmm. is like, OK, there are people out there that are willing to have this conversation. Yeah. And if he felt the opposite, if he felt the opposite, I would be willing to receive that information from him as mm-hmm. long as he could explain why he feels that way, what data he's using to support his point of view, and then not feeling judged if yeah. I choose not to do exactly. those things. Exactly. If, if you feel that I should have it, explain to me why. But if you're just pushing just for the sake of pushing and you're, there's nothing else, I'm done here. You cannot treat me for anything. Mm-hmm. I do not want you touching me. <laughs> right. You know, after leaving, it's been a year. So it's I was working in the depths of COVID for like two years in the hospital. I haven't seen a lot of these people in a year, so I don't know physicians and providers like what they're saying about it now. I could only imagine, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to hear Mm -hmm. if that's changed or how they... Yeah, I go back in a couple of weeks, so I'm very excited to just be the fly on the wall and observe and listen because Mm -hmm. that's what I do. So... before we kind of close out with this episode, and mm-hmm. I really appreciate you taking the time, Deb, to kind of tell us about your experience. I think yeah. it resonates with a lot of people listening and just what patients were kind of viewing and seeing. So I appreciate that. Before we close out, though, let's hear from our second sponsor. It's important to have a primary care doctor that you can count on. At BJC Healthcare, world-class and compassionate primary care providers are ready to see you at offices close to home. And you can count on BJC to make it easy with convenient online scheduling, virtual visits, and direct messaging. 
To find a BJC primary care provider near you and to schedule an appointment online, visit bjc.org forward slash primary care. All right. So in closing, Deb, do you think patient trust in their doctors and hospitals, I mean, we kind of already said it, right, has been negatively impacted? How do you foresee, do you think if we have another pandemic, people are going to respond much differently, both in the clinical setting and outside? Or what do you think has been done here damage-wise? I think that it's opened a lot of people's eyes to start researching and advocating more for themselves, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. But it opened their eyes because they were misled and misguided with treatments by people they trusted. So, you know, nursing has every year been one of the num- like the number one most trusted profession year after year after year. And there's a reason for that, you know, even over physicians, people trust their nurses. And so when you lose the trust and people don't want to go to the hospital anymore, you- you're seeing people get ill at home and avoid the care because they just don't trust people. But it's like, we're still here. We're, st- we're still good professionals. We still know what we're doing. Even those doctors that pushed it and you hated them at the time for it, they're still good doctors and they can still treat you and save you. And, It's just, I'm such a huge advocate for my patients advocating for themselves and to, you know, advocate for my patients. And I just want everybody to just, you know, it's hard. It's hard. Like, I mean, we we always say, you know, you have to advocate for yourself and, you know, you have to find, you have to feel comfortable with the people that are in charge of your care because you do need care, Mm -hmm. right? We all agree. You need care. Here's the thing that we've noticed in breast cancer care specifically. Mm-hmm. When your lived experience doesn't match what they're telling you, mm-hmm. you're just immediately skeptical, right? Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. this is a weird example, but we have a breast cancer survivor in our program who had intense nipple pain for the year leading up to her breast cancer diagnosis. When she was diagnosed with breast cancer, she told her doctors about that nipple pain. They're like, that's not a symptom of breast cancer. It's unrelated. You She's just like, really? They can't tell you you're not feeling what you're feeling. Well, and no. I mean, it's just like I had intense nipple pain that I came to you about multiple times and then I got breast cancer. Like, you think that's coincidence? When people's lived experience does not match up with what they're being told by their doctor, mm-hmm. it breeds medical skepticism. If we don't acknowledge it, we can't fix it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that goes back to what we said before, right? Like, nurses are frustrated with the system. They want to they wanna work in this. They want to work, but they don't want to work in this environment anymore. I think breast cancer patients feel the same way. We want to have a good relationship with our doctors and our healthcare systems, but it's broken. Yeah. I would much rather, and I don't get why healthcare providers don't get this. I would rather have you look me in the face and say, I don't know how to treat you, but I'm yes. still going to help you. Right. I would rather you tell me that because yeah. I, I have hope that we're going to figure it out mm-hmm. versus going somewhere else and they say, do this, 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 when you know you've already done that or mm-hmm. you know you've already been down that road. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the that's the best answer. You have no trust for him. So, you know what I hear throughout this whole thing is relationship. Right. We have lost the ability to have relationship with one another and mutual respect. And if we can somehow get back to that, Mm -hmm. then I think everybody's going to be a lot happier. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Deb, for sharing your experience. Thank you for having me. All right. Until next time, guys. See ya. Thank you for being a listener of the Besties with Breasties podcast. If this podcast had a positive impact on your journey, leave us a review or consider becoming a supporter. You can donate with the link in the show notes or at faiththroughfire.org. This episode was hosted by Sarah Hall and Beth Wilmus, audio and production edits by Innovative Frequencies.